0: Uh, Last Tuesday, uh, you might recall this, on Tuesday morning, uh, you might have seen in the news, 13 Greenpeace activists uh, mounted a protest on Sydney Harbour Bridge. Uh, So three of their numbers suspended themselves uh, by cables to hang from the bridge over the water. And then they held up their protest posters. Uh, Obviously, police were called in. Uh, They detained the 10 support crew. That was still on the bridge, they eventually got the three people hanging by their cables, lowered into a boat, all 13 were then taken to police stations and charges were laid. Now whatever else you might think about these people, you can't question their commitment to their cause. Hanging by cables from the harbour bridge, knowing that police would come, knowing that they'd be arrested and charged, knowing that the judicial system will in some way come down on them and yet still... They went ahead with their protest. This idea of knowing that your cause will bring you into trouble... ...but being committed to it regardless... ...that's at the heart of what we'll be reading in Matthew this morning. In chapters 10 to 13, Jesus makes it clear... ...He is calling on people to join Him and that'll come at a cost. You'll have to face rejection. Because there'll always be those who oppose Christ... But the Lord Jesus is clear, he is worth the cost. And so regardless of the opposition we'll have to face, he calls on us to be committed to him and to his cause. This morning is a reminder of just how significant the Lord Jesus is, and so he deserves our utter, complete loyalty. Last week, we left it with Jesus uh, striding through Israel, reversing the curse of God, rescuing Israel from their sicknesses as a sign that he'd come to save them from their sin. At the end of chapter 9, we see that as Jesus goes about this work, uh, he gets a bit overwhelmed. There's too much to do. There's too many people to save. More workers are needed for the kingdom of heaven. Look at it there, chapter 9 and verse 35. See, everywhere Jesus goes, in every town, in every village, there are people in need of help. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. In fact, in Matthew, so far, the workers are just one. Uh, Jesus is the only one heralding the coming of the kingdom of heaven. And so given that the harvest field is plentiful, he then recruits more workers. Chapter 10, verse 1. He called his 12 disciples to him, And gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. See, Jesus is raising up more workers to go into the harvest field. And he's doing it by giving his 12 disciples the authority to do what he's been doing. To announce the coming of the kingdom of heaven. And so he sends them out to Israel to do just that. Down to verse 5. Chapter 10, verse 5, these 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. And as you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. So the disciples are to do just what we saw Jesus doing last week. And it sounds like that it might be a bit of a triumphant march through Israel, doesn't it? You know, preaching the kingdom of heaven, healing the sick, driving out demons, raising the dead. But from here, things take a bit of a turn. Because for the rest of chapter 10, Jesus tells his disciples what to expect as they go out. And it won't be all smooth sailing. He assures them that they will face rejection and opposition. So let's pick it up in verse 14, where Jesus is making it clear that as he sends his disciples out, he's sending them into trouble. Chapter 10, verse 14. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that home or town. I tell you the truth, it'll be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves so the disciples are heading into hostile territory they're like going to be like sheep among wolves and so they've got to be very careful and jesus knows that his disciples will have to face opposition on his account for a long time so back in verse 5 jesus specifically tells his disciples not to go to the gentiles Uh, This particular mission is just to Israel, but from verse 17, Jesus looks ahead to when they will go out to the Gentiles, and when they do, they'll face a hard time from the Gentiles as well. Verse 17, be on your guard against men. They will hand you over to the local councils and flog you in their synagogues. On my account, you'll be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you'll be given what to say. See, there'll come a time when they'll be arrested and flogged for speaking about Christ. When the time comes for them to go to the Gentiles, there'll still be those who reject and oppose Christ. In fact, on account of Christ, things are going to get brutal and personal for the disciples. Verse 21, verse 21, brother will betray brother to death. And a father, his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And Jesus wants his disciples to be very clear that this opposition is exactly what is expected to happen. Come now down to verse 34. Verse 34 Jesus says, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against a mother, a daughter-in-law against a mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Jesus came to bring division. Division. Because Jesus calls for an allegiance to him that's far and above any other loyalties you might have. His kingdom takes precedence even over family ties. And so if it comes to making a choice between following Jesus into the kingdom of heaven or getting along with your family, Jesus says, choose me and the kingdom of heaven. I'm more important than your family way more important but not everyone will be able to come at that there will be those who reject Christ and Jesus knows it'll cause friction trouble betrayal even death but that's the call Christ makes he trumps everyone and everything else now these words from verse 17 on where Jesus is looking forward to the time when the disciples will go to the Gentiles to proclaim the kingdom of heaven, that's the time we're in. The news of Jesus as Lord of all being spread to all four corners of the globe, that's our time. That's now. And so these words have immediate reference for us in the here and now. Following Jesus might cost you your own family. You might have to choose between those you love And following Jesus in our time, there's going to be, there is rejection and opposition to Christ and we'll have to decide who we'll stand with. Will we stand with Christ and face the persecution and the heckling and the taunting or will we cave in living in the fear of man and so conform to what the people around us expect and want? In verse 28, Jesus says these words. Look at it there, verse 28. Jesus says, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. They are serious words, aren't they? Don't be afraid of men. All they can do is kill you. That's a pretty serious pep talk, isn't it? But that's the reality. Jesus is being as clear as he can. He is worth dying for. He's worth losing your family for. He is worth any cost because he's the only one who can bring us into the kingdom of heaven. Down to verse 32. Verse 32, he says, "'Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven.'" But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. Jesus is the only way into the kingdom of heaven. He is the only way we can be safe before God the Father. Acknowledge him and Jesus says, I will acknowledge you. There is no other that can usher us safely into the presence of God Almighty. There is no other who can save us from our sin. His death, his resurrection in our place to take our punishment for our sin. He is the only one who can bring us safely into the presence of the living God. So brothers and sisters, I've got to ask you, do you believe that? With resolve and conviction, do you believe in Jesus? With steel in your veins, do you believe? Then make your call. Put your colours to the mast. Fly the flag. Own Jesus as your Lord and Saviour and take whatever Rejection and opposition comes your way because he is worth it. But look back to Matthew and after sending his disciples out as uh, sheep among wolves, Jesus then went and did the same himself. So look at it there, chapter 11, verse 1. Chapter 11, verse 1. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. And for the rest of chapters 11 and 12, uh, Jesus and what he's doing comes back to center stage. And what we see is that the rejection and the opposition that he warned his disciples about is only what he had to deal with himself. Now, we don't have time to look at these chapters, but by way of summary, in chapters 11 and 12, Jesus is called a drunkard and a glutton. Uh, we're told of many towns that just point-blank refuse to repent despite all the miracles that he had performed in them. Some of the religious leaders even start plotting to kill Jesus and they claim that he is possessed by the devil himself. Uh, rejection and opposition, that was just Jesus' lot. Uh, they've even got a price on his head now. And so in chapter 10, Jesus promises to his disciples rejection and opposition. In chapters 11 and 12, we just watch Jesus walk that same walk Which brings us now to chapter 13, where Jesus teaches that there will always be those who reject the kingdom of heaven. Almost all of chapter 13 is Jesus teaching the crowds and his disciples. He tells a number of parables, and many of them make it very clear that right up until the very end of the age, there will always be those who reject God's kingdom. We don't have time to look at them all. For now, we're going to look at Jesus' parable of the wheat and the weeds. Uh, this parable is about a farmer sowing uh, wheat in his field. Uh, he's a good farmer. You know, he doesn't want anything to contaminate his crops. Uh, and so he just plants plants wheat. But then in the parable, an enemy of the farmer comes in at night and sows weeds among the wheat. So when the plants grow, you know, there's the wheat, but in amongst it all are these weeds. The farmer's got servants. And so they ask their boss, you know, do you want us to go and pull the weeds out? Uh, but the farmer says, no, you might pull up the, weed, uh, the wheat at the same time. So he says, just leave it until harvest time. Then we'll collect the weeds and we'll burn them up. And after that, we'll gather the wheat and we'll bring it into my barn. So you got the parable? Wheat and weeds growing up side by side. And then they aren't separated out until harvest time. Okay, what's it all mean? Come down to chapter 13 and verse 36. Chapter 13, verse 36. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed, that's the son of man, the field is the world, and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom the weeds and the sons of the evil one and the enemy who sows them is the devil the harvest is the end of the age and the harvesters are angels so the parable is about there being two types of people in the world there's those that belong to god and those that don't and they coexist They live in the same field, in the same world. They're side by side and it'll be this way right up until the very end of the age. There'll always be those who accept the kingdom of heaven and there'll always be those who reject the kingdom of heaven. The wheat and the weeds grow up together. However, there is coming a time when they will be separated out. At the end of the age, God will sort out those who belong to him from those who have rejected him and his kingdom And those who are his, well, they'll get to enjoy life in the kingdom of heaven. But those who have rejected God and his kingdom, well, they will be punished. Verse 40. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. So for those who reject the Lord Jesus, for now, they might be able to wave their fist in defiant rejection of the Christ. For now, they live side by side with God's people in this life, in this world. But at the end of the age, well, they'll have to face the never-ending judgment of God Almighty. Friends, there will always be those who reject the kingdom of heaven. But please don't be one of them. And not just because of the horror that awaits those who do, but also because of the goodness of what it means to be in the kingdom of heaven. You should want to be in it. The Lord Jesus wants us to be very clear about the infinite worth of, of the kingdom of heaven. So immediately after telling the parable of the wheat and the weeds, Jesus now tells two parables to show that the kingdom of heaven it is priceless. So look at the first one there in verse 44. Verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. It's hard to imagine finding something that valuable, isn't it? I mean, can you think of anything that you would sell absolutely everything for? So you would sell your car or your cars. You would sell your house or your houses. You would sell every single one of your possessions. You would cash in all your investments. You would sell everything you own. And then you would take all the cash and then you would go and buy what? What would would you buy? What could be worth that much? It's hard to imagine, isn't it? What what goes in that space? Well, according to Jesus, the kingdom of heaven is like that. And Jesus must have known we'd find it a bit hard to take this in. And so he says the same thing again in the next parable, verse 45 Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. According to Jesus, the kingdom of heaven is so good, it is so wonderful, it is so valuable that you would give up anything, you would give up everything to have it. There is no price too high to pay to be part of the kingdom of heaven. As we saw in chapter 10, not even your life is more valuable than the kingdom of heaven. And what makes it so valuable? Why is it so good? Well, this is just scratching the surface, I know that, but here's a couple of things that Jesus says about it back in chapters 10 and 11. So in chapter 11, Jesus says these words, they're famous words of Jesus, it's in verse 28 if you want to look at it. Chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus says, Come to me. Chapter 11, verse 28, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. There's a reason why the kingdom of heaven is so valuable. You will find rest for your souls. And what else can give you that? As people, we can be so restless, can't we? I mean, our sin can fill us with unease, can't it? If you're anything like me, guilt and shame, they just tend to be constant companions. They seem to be walking side by side with me all the way. But Jesus says, I can take all that for you. Be at rest. My death pays for all your sins every single one of them. But it's not just our sins that can make us ill at ease. In our culture, we're always trying to fill our lives, aren't we? We know there's got to be more to life than just, you know, sleep, uh, work, eat, repeat. So we find ourselves chasing meaning and fulfilment in all kinds of things. We chase money, we chase gadgets, holidays, friendships, entertainment, relationships. But finding meaning and purpose in these things, it's like chasing after the wind. You know, you can never catch it, you can never keep it. Because the things of this life, they, they always either get superseded, or they just simply end, or they simply fail to live up to expectations. And so as we try and find meaning and fulfillment in the things of this life, it always ends the same. We get left feeling empty. We're never at ease. We're never at rest. And Jesus says, come to me. I'll give you rest. Because in Christ, we don't have just the one who is the meaning of life. We have the one who is life itself. He is why you were even created in the first place. He is who life is all about. In him, there is meaning, there is satisfaction, there is fulfillment, there is joy, and he lasts forever, literally forever. And so come to him and you will find rest for your soul. And here's another reason why the kingdom of heaven is so valuable. It's what we've already seen in chapter 10 where Jesus promises that if you acknowledge him, then he will acknowledge you before his Father in heaven. So just try and picture it for me. You've died. You're brought before God the Father. Your whole life is about to be weighed in the balance. You are ushered into the presence of the Holy God. And you can't help but feel small, inadequate, guilty, afraid. But there's something of a twinkle in the father's eye. Because the Lord Jesus himself, the son of God, is walking up behind you with a big smile on his face. And he puts his arm around you and he says to his father, it's all right. This one's mine. And the father says, I know. They're mine too. Life with God forever. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Friends, in these chapters, Jesus made it very clear that following him won't be easy. You're going to have to live side by side with those who think that Jesus is a fool. Some of these people will actively oppose you. It may cost you your friends, your family, maybe even your life. And so is following Christ into the kingdom of heaven easy? No. No, it's not. But should you still want to be in it? Absolutely No matter what rejection, no matter what opposition may come our way, brothers and sisters, the kingdom of heaven, it is worth it. Jesus, he, he is worth it. We'll pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would give us uh, such conviction to take Jesus and his words, to believe him and, Father, to stand fast by him. We pray for your spirit, that he would give us the strength, the courage and the endurance to stand firm until the very end of the age. That, Father, we would gladly uh, trust and believe in Christ, live in him, that we would seek his honour and his glory and his praise, that we would live not in the fear of men, but, Father, for the honour of you. And, Father, we ask this, that in our lives, not just now but forever, we would bring him great glory and honour. And so it's in his name we ask these things. Amen.